Welcome to Trashy Divorces, everyone. We've got a banger of an episode today. Welcome back. Season 11. I'm Alicia. I'm Stacy. We are back with a regular helping of uh, Sunday Trash Candy mm-hmm. with some long requested stories y'all have really wanted. Yes. Who do you have, Alicia? Who, who's coming up first? King of the Love Songs, <sighs> Lionel Richie. He really is the king of the love He's songs. He's the king of the love songs. Mm-hmm. Writes a hell of a love song, has two hella trashy divorces. This week, Stacey, who are you bringing us? I have the intersection of the Real Housewives and true crime with the story of Erica Jane and Tom Girardi. That was a whole lot of yikes. Man. <laughs> California. Okay. This week's Sail On by the Commodores mm-hmm. is our theme song. I want to give a big trashy shout out to Michelle. Mm-hmm. You rock. Thanks for the suggestion for our theme for this week. So I jazzed and discoed up our uh, magic mirror this week. Excellent. In honor of the Commodores. You want to go ahead and start with some love and thanks for our new Patreon folks? I absolutely will. Thank you so much for joining us on Patreon. Kelly P., who I believe we forgot to mention at some point in the past. Apologies. So Kelly P., Vanessa C., Tracy, Jessica C., Jolene, Megaroo, Kara A., Huge love and thanks. I'm going to continue on. Give some more love and thanks to Erica. Mahua C. I hope it's pronounced Mahua. Let us know if we've mispronounced. We'll correct it later. Absolutely. George M., Amy R., Jane L., Julie F., and KC. Thanks, y'all, for joining us over on the most magical Patreon community ever. Got a super supporter shout out. Thanks to give to Christine R., our newest trash candy connoisseur. Thank you. Thank you. One other thing before we sail on into this episode, for any of our trash pandas who like astrology, some of you, it's not your thing. Some of you, it really is your thing. We had the most amazing conversation with Andy from Astrology with Andy this past week. Our listeners, our Patreon listeners sent in their astrology questions. Andy spilled all the starry, starry tea. Mm -hmm. You can find that episode where, Stacey? Free, just to listen to. Just, yep, free at uh, bit.ly slash trash candy. It's just sitting there. It's a very top one. You'll find, I don't know, half a dozen or so of other free episodes we pulled out from the paywall that have something to do with the content that we're circling through on the main feed. If you're looking for a little more trash candy in your life, bit.ly slash trash candy. Mm-hmm. We'll get you there. Yep. In the meantime, what uh, what should we do now? We got to sail on, honey. Good times never felt so good. Got to sail, sail, sail. (laughs) Go, go, go. Alicia, I sure have been enjoying the dance party that you've been subjecting me to all week. It's been a 1970s and 1980s uh, classic party house around here. Been a lot of music playing, yeah. Hello. Is it me? You're looking for Trash Pandas this week, the long requested Trashy Divorces Saga of Lionel Richie. Mm. This season for season 11, I'm trying to get all the episodes that have been on for every season and other things happen. Right. This really has been requested a lot in the Facebook group. People want to hear the story real bad and we're going to make it happen. Lionel Richie, songwriter of all the songs. Singer of all the songs. He's a king of love songs. Kenny Rogers will say about Lionel Richie that he writes the songs that every man would like to say, every woman would like to hear. Hmm. That's a good quote. Lionel Richie and Kenny Rogers are friends. That's Mm -hmm. who he starts songwriting for when Kenny Rogers is like, dude, what are you doing in this funk band? Okay, we're going to get there. God, story's fun. Okay. Lionel Richie. I mean, with all of his Grammy nominations and his wins, and we are the world raising $60 million over uh, Kennedy Center honors, like Lionel Richie, American Idol judge, acclaimed, but he has been married twice (laughs) and has left us with two divorces for our trashy divorces purposes, both excellent choices. Oh, good. So only two times a lady? Two, Two times a lady. Yeah, and I don't think he's going to venture down that path anytime soon. Let's uh, get into it. <laughs> Lionel is born June 20th, 1949, in the cusp of magic. He's technically a Gemini. 
but he's in that cusp of magic. Aren't we all? Cusp. <laughs> Grows up in Tuskegee, Alabama, mm. which is a remarkable place. Y'all, Tuskegee, Alabama is located in Macon County, halfway between Montgomery and Columbus. Columbus, Georgia. Correct. Tuskegee is a little bit southwest of Auburn, Alabama. It's founded and planned in 1833. It's incorporated in 1843. They've had a newspaper there publishing since April 1865. The first law school in Alabama located in Tuskegee. Hmm. The Baptist College for Women was founded there in 1848. The Tuskegee Female College was founded in 1856. The Tuskegee Military Institute for Boys, Park High School for Boys, among the early schools that happened before public schools get established in 1898. Tuskegee, big deal. Also, Booker T. Washington comes to town in 1881 and gets all the kids in the town to make bricks from the dirt, which is how the first school gets built. Interesting. Booker T. is going to move on to be the founding principal of Tuskegee University. Mm -hmm. Home of Rosa Parks. Home of the Tuskegee Airmen. Home of Lionel Richie. Home of an awful medical atrocity as well, worth noting. True that. Anyway, but great. I'm glad there are excellent things about it, too, and not just that horrific. It is sort of extraordinary at the time. I mean, this is a community in the segregated South that is self-sufficient. For a long time, like by the time Lionel's growing up there, it is a black professional community. Doctors, lawyers, uh, politicians. It is assuredly middle class. There's no racism in the town because 98% of the population is black. Like you grow up without color because it is a a perfect town. Mm -hmm. To incubate a young talent. Nice homes, lots of stores, car dealerships. Every neighborhood has a grocery Like, this town is a thriving epicenter of something that is decidedly different than many other southern towns at that time. Tuskegee today is a lot like a lot of other small southern towns now. They are still about 96% black people of color. Current population shows less than 10,000 residents, though. There's a census data point and the Chamber of Commerce data kind of has two different numbers. But if you're ever passing through... Macon County, check out Tuskegee. It's fascinating history, museums, and such. Okay. Lionel loves his childhood. Tuskegee is his home. He recalls the smell of grass and cutting the lawn and what that oil smelled like and waxing the car with dad and the honeysuckle that grew on the fence. Lionel even have honeysuckle at his California home Mm. that he brings in to put on his fence just because that smell takes him back to Tuskegee. Cuts paths through the woods in the wintertime so there's a clear path in the summer when the woods came up. He's a thoughtful kid. He's a shy kid. Lives with his mom and dad and his grandma. His grandma's a classical pianist. Hmm. She's really, really good. And grandma's trying to teach Lionel to play piano. And grandma's just frustrated because Lionel is watching grandma's hands And he's not watching the notes or the music. He doesn't care about the music. He's watching her hands do what they do. And she's trying to coach him like, you need to pay attention to the music. She's trying to teach him to read music. Correct. And he's just, he's just a virtuoso. Is that? Yeah. And Lionel's like, no, but grandma, I got it. And he plays back everything that she just did. And she's (laughs) like, but you didn't. But you have to look at the paper. You have to look at the paper. And he's like, no, I don't. Why? Like, he has this ear. He's got Mm -hmm. this innate talent and ability. And he doesn't know, like, that this is extraordinary. He's going to play some tennis in high school, which is going to get Lionel Richie a scholarship to Tuskegee University. He starts as an economics major, maybe interested in becoming a priest in the Episcopal Church. It's 1968. It's all happening, man. Life of possibilities. His parents, Alberta and Lionel Sr., want him to settle down, get a degree, have a nice, respectable life. But one fall afternoon. But what happens? On the campus of Tuskegee University, Lionel sees a buddy on campus and he's like, hey, Lionel, uh, want to be in our act for the freshman talent show? We got this band thing going together. And 
Lionel's like, uh, this is how you pick up girls. What time do you want me to show up to be there? And that is how the Commodores were born. <laughs> oh, classic. And like, whoa, what a sound. These guys are showmen. Like, the talent show goes so well, they start picking up, you know, other gigs. And they are something special. They dazzle, they funk, they groove. The Commodores are fire. Lionel will say that from the ages of 19 to 25, everything felt possible. And in Alabama, if you're catching one of those early shows, you know you're seeing something special. They're really good. They have this dream. They want to be the Black Beatles. We want to be the biggest band in the world. We're going to take it by storm. Lionel's going to graduate in 1972 with that economics degree, but... Let's go ahead. We've all graduated. Let's be the Black Beatles and his poor parents. Like <laughs> Lionel Sr. in Alberta. Here comes Lionel rolling on in with five dudes and afros and braids and rollers in their hair. This is him telling this story like, hey, mom and dad, we're going to take over the world and we're going to go to New York because if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Right. And Alberta's like, the hell you ain't, son. It's not what you're doing. Like, He's trying to sell him on this plan, but this is most assuredly not the plan that yeah. Lionel's parents have laid we out for him. We just sent you to get an economics degree. <laughs> and you're going to go tour with a funk band. No. And they're like, yeah, we're going to do our music. We are doing something that nobody else is doing, and we're going to do our music, and we're going to get a record deal. 19 to 25, anything's possible, Right. And it had to have sounded impossible, but to Lionel, it doesn't. Yeah. He's a middle-class kid with big dreams and grows up in this town standing on the shoulders of giants. And by God, if these kids don't do it, they're a cover band for a while. They're playing gigs off campus. They're working their way kind of locally through the scene. They will go tour New York, right? If we can make it there. Anyway. The Commodores are going to end up opening for the Jackson 5 in short order and get their record contract. And Lionel's going to spend like 14 years with the Commodores until he goes solo. But that's not the story we're telling here. But I do have an anecdote <laughs> about how cool and groovy and amazing the Commodores were. I mean, are. Mm -hmm. Great band. Sure. <laughs> for any of my Parrothead friends out there, there's a little anecdote. From Jimmy Buffett. This is the early 70s. And there is such a thing. You and I were talking about this. A college booking tour. It's like your 15 minutes of fame. Your act, your band gets up. You play a 15-minute set. And all the promoters, all the booking agents. Yeah, all the college bookers are, are there to see who they want to invite to campus and pay money to. Yeah, That's exactly right. Okay. So early 70s. There's Jimmy Buffett. I want to say Jimmy Buffett is with Roger Bartlett. And it's before the show. And everybody's name just kind of goes in a cup. And they're about to do the draw for when people go. And <laughs> Jimmy Buffett's like, and then the Commodore's tour bus pulls up. And I'd never seen anything like that. <laughs> I turned to Roger and I was like, man, we may need to drink a little bit. And, uh. Then the Commodores come out of the bus and they are all dressed for that they're in their outfits. And Jimmy Buffett's to Roger like, we're going to need to drink a lot more. And Jimmy Buffett's praying, oh my God, don't let me get picked out of the cup to be before them or after them. Right. You do not want to follow that. No. <laughs> the Commodores is dinner and a show. I mean... Mm -hmm. Out, they're a funk band, and there's dancing and music, and Lionel Richie is a born showman. He's super into audience participation. He does a residency out in Las Vegas not that long ago, and you see him in shows, and he talks about performing. He's like, it's still, it's just a big karaoke party. I'm just involving the audience, like, come on, everybody, let me hear you now. Anyway, they're spectacular, the Commodores. Okay, so Jimmy Buffett, Roger, getting drunk. Jimmy Buffett's name gets pulled out. He's going on like three or four after them. So whew, crisis averted. So this gives Jimmy the opportunity to go and watch the actual Commodores. And he is boy from Pascagoula, Mississippi, right? So blown away by the Commodores. 
Then when Jimmy Buffett, who has had a little bit to drink at this point, <laughs> gets up to do his set, his 15-minute set, he's got 15 minutes to book his next year and try to make some cash, spends 12 and a half minutes of his set just talking about the fucking Commodores. Oh, my God. Like, have y'all ever seen anything like that? Weren't they amazing? What about that song? Just on fire about this band. The last two and a half minutes of his 15 minutes, he will play one song. That song is Why Don't We Get Drunk and Screw. Jimmy Buffett is booked for the year mm -hmm. for college campuses. It's fine. Okay. It's fine. Anyway, it's all happening. Like by 1974, the Commodores do have an album and they are going to explode, like meteoric rise to fame, like by 1976. All right. Taking off my dancing shoes for a minute. Brooke House is going to settle down and we're going to tell you about Lionel's first wife, Brenda Harvey. She's a Virgo girl. They're college sweethearts. She goes to Tuskegee University too. She's the prettiest majorette there. She's his biggest cheerleader. She loves him. She is around for the whole college thing and the explosion to fame thing. And she supports all of his dreams. And these two are made for each other. They're going to get married October 18th, 1975. So as the Commodore's rise is happening, Mm -hmm. Lionel gets married. This is wonderful. Congrats, kids. Be well. And they are for a long time. 1978, Lionel's kind of breaking out and writing hits for others, including Lady for Kenny Rogers. 1982, he's going to launch a solo career. Hello. Mm -hmm. Uh, Running with the night. Stuck on you, Penny Lover. I mean, he has phenomenal mm-hmm. success as a solo artist. Yeah, he does. In 1983, Lionel's like, "All right, time for me to, time for me to boogie from the Commodores. I'm gonna start a solo career." Lionel and Brenda begin raising Nicole Camille Escovedo in 1983. Nicole Ritchie, her parents not really able to care for a child and infant very properly, and They start raising her when she's like two or three. We'll go through a long process to legally adopt her, but Lionel writes Ballerina Girl for Nicole. It just, they love the kid. It's the fulfillment of everything in their lives. Like by Mm -hmm. 1984, 85, Brenda and Lionel caring for their child and building a family and working through the adoption process. And Lionel Richie will straight up tell you he's a hopeless romantic. And uh, this is the time that he perhaps chooses to. Stray on his vows from Brenda. This is the time that Brenda found out. I don't mean to laugh. It. Obviously, that's. I mean, Lionel's in a band. He's on the road a lot. And yeah. It's the 70s and the 80s. So here's Brenda, dutiful wife, doting mother. Two different stories about the way it goes down here. The first is in 1984. Lionel is performing at the Olympics closing ceremony, playing all night long, and will meet a new lady. Other version of this is that he meets a new lady in 1986 for the Dancing on the Ceiling video, which at that time cost upwards of half a million dollars to make. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Who's the lady? Diane Alexander. She's a Gemini lady. Born in Los Angeles, June 16th, 1967. So there is a little bit of an age difference. Diane's mom was a housewife. Dad worked in a factory In high school, her love of dance is born. And after graduation, she's not going to go to college. She's going to continue to dance. She's involved in several troops, dances in some films, also dances in that Olympics closing ceremony, Mm. also is the dancer in the Dancing on the Ceiling video. Will eventually dance on the ceiling. Mm -hmm. I found two different stories there. Anyway. Suffice it to say, he meets someone new. Yes. They meet. Hello. (laughs) Okay. There's a thing. They're going to stay secret lovers for a long time. Okay. She does dance in the video. This is where it gets a little bit complicated because friends will say by 1987, Lionel and Brenda had separated. They were living apart. They were keeping everything very quiet because they're still in the process of adopting Nicole. Mm, Okay. Okay. They don't want any of their marital discord to affect the adoption process. So they're just being real subtle, real right. cool about it. That's what friends say. <laughs> Lionel says we were done over and out. Or are they? I don't know if Brenda really knows that. 
And now we get to the part of our story called Brenda has a real bad day. See, Brenda has hired a private investigator because she thinks Lionel is stepping out, perhaps with that dancer from the Dancing on the Ceiling video they shot last year. And uh, Lionel is doing a lot of visiting of Hmm. his mistress, Diane, at her apartment. Interesting. There are a number of neighbor quotes we're going to get to after the Brenda has a real bad day part. Mm -hmm. But neighbors are like, yeah, he was always over. 1988, Lionel files for divorce. Brenda may not have been as accepting of this event as there is a night in 1988 after confirmation from the PI that Lionel was in fact with Diane. Brenda's going to go at 2 a.m. to Diane's Beverly Hills apartment and just bust Uh. right on in to Lionel and Diane. And Brenda's Mm. suspicions are in fact confirmed. So there's yelling which gets the neighbors to call the cops who are on their way as the fight is now violent and happening inside the apartment, but will eventually move out onto the street. Brenda kicks Lionel in the using air quotes stomach, which is not where she kicked Lionel. Lionel got kicked in the nards (laughs) and Lionel is like, I am out of here. He takes off. Wait, Mm -hmm. oh no, but he doesn't take the girlfriend with him. He's just... No, Diane's still there. So it leaves Brenda to fight Diane. And neighbors now are absolutely, like the whole apartment building is lit up. So officers show up. There is an assault in progress. Okay. This is from uh, Lieutenant Robert Curtis. Our officers arrived in less than a minute, observed suspect Brenda Ritchie, striking and kicking the victim on the floor Mm. of the apartment. A second victim, entertainer Lionel Ritchie, later phoned and stated to officers he had been kicked in the stomach area by Mrs. Ritchie at the apartment. The stomach area. Okay. Okay, this is Francie's Davini. This is a neighbor of Diane Alexander's. They were screaming and you could hear everything. Lionel was there and it was obvious that his wife had just found him with Diane. His wife was really, really mad. Glass broke and furniture crashed around inside. It sounded like she was killing someone. It wasn't very civilized. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Brenda's friend, a lady named Sandra Moss, will describe Brenda as very soft-spoken. She's just the most adorable, caring, pretty, bright. I can't believe she did this. Okay. Uh, The article that I have used for this source, I love this line. Though she may have been soft-spoken, she was clearly not (laughs) soft-fisted. Okay, this is another neighbor. They had to push her down on her chest on the ground to get the cuffs on her. She kept screaming for Diane to help her. She kept screaming, Diane, don't let them do this to me. Please, Diane. Oh, my God. Diane's looking around at her fucking wreck of an apartment. Okay. Take six cops, allegedly. Brenda Harvey, Richie, is booked on suspicion of corporal injury to a spouse, resisting arrest, trespassing, vandalism, battery, and, just for good measure, disturbing the peace. That is a bad night, indeed. Brenda had a bad, bad morning. She's released on $5,000 bail. She doesn't really serve any time. Lionel doesn't press charges. He's going to take his knocks. But, whoa, The media circus and the scandal of it all sort of tanks his career a bit. So here he is trying to protect Brenda and new mistress Diane and still adopt this child that he loves. Like, it's tough. This is 1988. Brenda has a bad day. The divorce is not complete until August of 1993. It takes a long time. Wow. Mm -hmm. But Brenda and Lionel, their 17-year marriage, done. Brenda's fine, financially taken care of. One of the assets she has given in the divorce is a music publishing company. Brenda will never marry again. She's also best friends with LaToya Jackson. (laughs) She's doing great. Okay. Lionel and Brenda, in the fullness of time, do have a good relationship now. They're on friendly terms. But uh, divorce number one, not as easy as Sunday morning would like you to believe. All right, Lionel. Diane still carrying on, even from 1988 all the way through waiting for the divorce. I'm sure Brenda wasn't real hep on like, let me make this happen fast Mm, for you. Yeah, I'm sure. Lionel and Diane do have a son in 1994. 
1995, the year after, two years-ish, after the divorce is final with Brenda, they do get married. They have a daughter, Sophia, in 1998. But Lionel Richie, the hopeless romantic. Good Lord, this marriage is not destined to last either. So after seven, almost eight years of marriage, Diane will file for divorce, citing reconcilable differences. Our favorite. Our favorite. In L.A. Superior Court. Now, Diane estimates in the court filing papers that she needs $125,000 a year for the tuition at the boarding school in Colorado for their son. She also needs an extra 15 to 20K a month so she can visit him there. The tuition for their five-year-old daughter at this time, Sophia, is $15,000. She says that, you know, when we were together, I spent a minimum of $1,000 a month on gifts for Sophia's friends. And uh, we spent two to 3K on charities and kids' school stuff. In the same court filing, she goes on, to list a yearly expense of $20,000 for plastic surgery. Monthly expenses of fifteen dollars for clothing, shoes, and accessories. A monthly bill for $3,000 for dermatology. $1,000 for laser hair removal. Uh, on a monthly basis, Mrs. Ritchie spends $600 on hair, Pilates, massages, and therapy. $500 on her trainer. 450 on facials, 250 on nails, 150 on electrolysis. Yikes. Now, even though they're in the process of getting divorced, Lionel and Diane still share the 40 million 30 room mansion in Beverly Hills. Awkward. Well, it's big. From that, Diane's like, yep, mortgage is 75,000 per month. We have salaries for a nine member full-time staff. We have others that maintain our plants and Mm -hmm. detail our cars and care for Mm -hmm. our pool and groom our dog and maintain our aquarium. We have a painter for regular touch-ups around the house. What is her full ask? This is amazing. Okay, so in the terms of the initial settlement, which was offered by Lionel, gives Diane the couple's $5 million mansion, alimony payments of $55,000 a month. That's not bad. It's not bad at all. They agree. Everybody shakes hands. These terms are fine. But five months later, Diane says, no, that is not fine. I do not agree to those terms anymore. And I would like $300,000 now a month in support. Mm -hmm. No. Correct. No. Well, she forgot to add in some expenses. So she was getting fifty-five. But now she needs it to increase another $245,000 because she forgot to add some things on the list. Vitamins, they're $500 a month. Gifts for friends and family at $5,000 a month. Jewelry, that's five k a month easy. Now, I guess laser treatment for hair removal went up in price. She found somebody better, maybe, because that's now $5,000 a month. Her dermatology treatment, she was way too low on whatever she said, $300 a month, because now she needs $3,000 for that. Her shoes, clothing, and other accessories budget has gone up to $15K a month, and she still does need that $20,000 annually for plastic surgery, too. And she'll say, like, he never had a problem earning money. I know he earns in excess of $300K a month because we've always comfortably spent at least that in any given month. It's too bad the Real Housewives weren't around. (laughs) The original Real Housewives. So Lionel, to maintain a close bond with this kid, he's like, you know what? Here's 20 million. That's estimated. It is estimated that her divorce settlement, 20 million bucks, ranks pretty high. I've got a listing here, the 23rd most expensive divorce settlement in the history of the U.S. It was a lot of money to Diane. 20 mil. Can you just keep it private and just go away? Don't go away mad. Just say long. Just go away rich. Honey. Anyway. Manage your money how you want here. Those are the two trashy divorces of Lionel Richie. Wow. I know. Now, Lionel has gone on record saying that his ex-wives have ruined marriage for him. 
I think it's the divorces, really, that well, ruins. Yeah. He has no intention of ever getting married again. Smart man. He will say in 2016, he says he doesn't want to go there a third time. Women have killed it for me. Kids aren't the problem. Ex-wives are. That's why I won't marry again. But I'm happy to commit in other ways. No, that's perfectly reasonable, especially just the nitpicking about money. That has got to be such a drag for like these ultra rich people. Like, what do you want? Yeah, just just take a big check. But I mean, Lionel Richie's a philanthropist. He helped raise more than three million for breast cancer research. He, his mom, Alberta, fights breast cancer when she's in her 80s and she survives her struggle and lives to be 103 years old. (laughs) Also, Once, Twice, Three Times a Lady Mm -hmm. was written about his father's love for his mother. The Once, Twice, Three Times a Lady is like your wife, your mother, and your lady, Alberta. (laughs) Lionel has been in a long-term relationship with a designer from Switzerland. Her name is Lisa Parigi. They're a private couple. He's like, the kids are the most important thing to me. He will tell GQ that his three kids define him more than any record or award that he's been given. He's still perform. I mean, American Idol judge still performs 70 times a year. Nicole and her husband, good Charlotte member Benji Madden, have two kids. So his grandkids call him Pop Pop. Lionel Richie being called Pop Pop by his grandkids. He's just a family guy. Yeah. Made a lot of mistakes. Brenda had a bad day. Diane got a... Hell of a lot of money in her settlement. Yep. I do like this quote. Lionel Richie will tell People Magazine in 2019. I think it fits for all of us here. Love is not an exact science. It's something you have to go through. People don't walk in love. People fall, which means you're out of control. There's no logic. How you survive is your story. Hmm. Not good. Yeah. How you survive is your story. So I don't know how many trash cans that gets, but I know they are almost assuredly dancing on the ceiling. Dancing on the ceiling. They probably they probably get great dermatological treatments, <laughs> laser hair removal. That's trashy. Supplements. <laughs> Poor Brenda. I mean, Brenda snapped and Right. That happens. I mean, it it happens. It's not great, but it happens. Those are the trashy divorces of Lionel Richie. We're going to follow up a little bit about, good Lord, the Sophia Richie Scott Disick shit show in Dumpster Dive this week, because that's all connected to some trashy divorces alums, the Kardashians. We'll get into that on Tuesday in Dumpster Dive, but I wanted to keep the lines mm-hmm. separate on this particular Trashy Divorce's story. Mm-hmm. Let's take a quick break. Let's take a quick break. We're going to come back with the really real housewives. We're going to come back with something that does not keep lines separate. <laughs> <laughs> See you on the flip, y'all. We want to welcome Feels CBD to the show this week. Feels, that's F-E-A-L-S, has been helping us get a good night's sleep for a while now. And whether you're dealing with sleep issues, stress, pain management, daytime focus, whatever... Feels CBD might be just what you're looking for. Feels is a premium CBD derived from organically grown, full-spectrum hemp right here in the United States. This is a company that really cares about the details. Feels packaging is gorgeously designed, and their monthly membership makes your self-care really straightforward. I've been sleeping so well by putting a few drops of Feels under my tongue about 30 minutes before I lay down. It's really boosted my ability to get to sleep, as well as my sleep quality. If you're new to CBD, you may need to experiment a little to find the right dose for you. Feels really cares about the details. They offer a free CBD hotline to help you find your perfect dose. The customer service team is dedicated to making sure you get the best experience out of your CBD, whatever your goals are, and whatever your experience level with CBD. And with Feels Monthly Membership, you have one less thing on your to-do list every month. You'll get 50% off your first order, Easy monthly delivery straight to your door, and you can pause or cancel any time. Feels also has this cool three-vial flight available, like you're sampling craft beer or something, so you can actually feel how the different doses work for you. Become a member today by going to feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash trashy, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. 
That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash Trashy to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. That's feels.com slash Trashy. Hey, Trash Pandas. When you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? all in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. There's never a wrong time to take a look at the things that are keeping you from living your best life. And if now is your moment, we recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp is confidential, convenient, and safe professional counseling with your own licensed therapist. BetterHelp's quick questionnaire matches you with a counselor in under 24 hours. You can message your counselor at any time, even between scheduled phone or video sessions. Not clicking with your counselor? No problem. It's free to change. BetterHelp is available worldwide and offers specialized expertise that may just not be available where you live. It's also more affordable than traditional counseling, and financial aid is available. It's just never been easier to find a licensed professional counselor who specializes in what you're working through. In fact, so many people are using BetterHelp that they are recruiting counselors in all 50 U.S. states. We want you to start living your happiest life today. As a Trashy Divorces listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash trashy. Join more than 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health. Visit betterhelp.com slash trashy. Summer reading season is upon us. Have you ever considered how your personal finances would read as a literary genre? Would it be a sweet romance with a happy ending? or a thriller you could only read during the day. The clever ladies at the Oak Tree Group want to help you write your most compelling financial story. These three holistic planners have 77 years of combined experience helping people navigate all kinds of financial plot twists and turns. They can help you with a wide breadth of financial strategies. Check out their website, www.theoaktreegroup.net and see the experience and areas of expertise these women bring to the people they serve. The Oak Tree Group is offering our listeners a free one-hour consultation on your financial script. See their website, www.theoaktreegroup.net, for additional contact details. So, Stacey, we're venturing back into a Real Housewife saga. Long uh, People want this one. Yeah, this is always treacherous terrain for us, but yeah, I'm going there. Do it. Go on there. Friends, today I have got a divorce that is nowhere close to over, but it's so stunningly, staggeringly trashy and perhaps fraudulent, and perhaps the possible fraud isn't even the most disgusting thing about this whole mess that we decided to leap on in. Get ready, housewives, fans. This is Erica Jane and Tom Girardi. This one is a bit of a riddle wrapped in a mystery, wrapped in a massively corrupt and long-term misuse of the legal system, possibly ongoing. So for those of you not familiar with these people, let me set the stage. Yikes on bikes. Whew. Tom Girardi is an 82-year-old trial lawyer whose focus has been on injury law, and he's considered one of the pioneers of so-called toxic torts. In particular, he's known for his toxic tort suit against Pacific Gas and Electric, on behalf of the residents of the town of Hinckley, California. Oh, I know this one. Who were poisoned by groundwater contaminated with hexavalent chromium. The case resulted in a $333 million settlement in 1996, then a record, and was the source material for the 2000 Julia Roberts film Aaron Brockovich. Tom is a composite character in the film, but no matter, all publicity is good publicity, And certainly, California's legal establishment took note of the truly massive numbers in this case. Girardi became a rock star among lawyers. 
and big, big cases for which he took cuts of 30%, even 40%, kept on coming his way. Wow. Yeah, nice work if you can get it. Uh, He's been married three times, and he was still tidying up the end of his second divorce when he took his third bride in 2000. I also saw 99, somewhere in there. It was a whirlwind. It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle. Mm -hmm. So here's how Matt Hamilton and Harriet Ryan of the LA Times described their courtship in December in a piece called The Legal Titan and the Real Housewife, The Rise and Fall of Tom Girardi and Erica Jane. Girardi met Jane in the late 1990s at Chasen's, the famed Beverly Hills haunt, where he was a co-owner and she waited tables in the bar. Jane, then known as Erica Chahoy, was a striking blonde 28-year-old with a young son and dreams of stardom. Girardi was 60. Whoa! She soon moved into what Girardi has described as a five-acre compound overlooking the Rose Bowl and quit Chasen's. On her last day, she tossed her work uniform, a clingy velvet emerald green dress and black heels, in the bar trash can. Closing the lid, I walked out of that restaurant and into a whole new life, she wrote. Oh, I bet you did. The couple married in the clubhouse of the Los Angeles Country Club in 2000. Girardi asked a judge he knew to officiate at the end of a round of golf. The wedding was so spontaneous that the groom enlisted an attorney in the bar as a witness. Although Girardi was in the midst of an acrimonious dispute over dividing assets with his second wife, he opted not to sign a prenuptial agreement. Oh my God. That was my next... Oh, question. Wow. Oh my God. Nope. Let's stipulate that Tom Girardi used his prestige in legal circles to become, and we should probably put this in all caps, well-connected. He was a member at all the right country clubs. He regularly sat for meals at all the right restaurants. Lawyers who dreamed of judgeships cozied up to him. Judges and elected officials were prominent invitees to parties and conferences where Girardi hired talent like Jay Leno, Burt Bacharach, Leanne Rimes, and Penn and Teller to entertain his guests. Oh my god. The LA Times found that Tom greased the wheel the old-fashioned way, with more than $7.5 million in political contributions, mostly to Democrats, handed out by Tom, his family members, and employees. Wow. Erica Jane made another $1.3 million in political donations during their marriage. California Governor Gavin Newsom, back when he was lieutenant governor, I guess running for governor, TD alum. Went to... It's a whole family reunion today. Went on Andy Cohen's show, Watch What Happens Live, and revealed that Erica is his favorite housewife <laughs> because of Tom's generous contributions to his campaign. I'm pretty sure Gavin would like a mulligan on that these days. Yeah, you don't say the quiet part out loud, man. He would likely also like a mulligan on appointing Tom to a panel that evaluates potential judges in L.A. County. Oh. I believe I said well-connected. In All right. caps. Before we dive into the scandal, let's talk about Erica Jane, a.k.a. Erica Girardi, who joined the cast of Bravo's Real Housewives of Beverly Hills in 2015. And full disclosure, I do not watch any of the Housewives series and have occasionally upset Housewives fans among you, <clears throat> Bethany Frankel. Uh, so, you know, this story is good enough to risk your wrath. So here we go with Erica. Erica hails from right here in Atlanta, born July 10th, 1971 as Erica Chihoy, and after graduating from North Atlanta High School, went to New York City, hoping to break into the entertainment biz. If I can make it there. I mean, that's where you go. (laughs) She landed some roles, but mostly she paid the rent as a go-go dancer in a big club. More significantly, her first marriage and divorce and her only child stem from her New York years. After divorcing there, she headed to L.A., still with a dream in her heart. As noted, while working at a restaurant at the end of the 1990s, she met Tom, they married, it was a whirlwind, and a few years later, Tom agreed to fund her foray into a dance music career. Oh my. According to that LA Times piece, Erica wrote in her memoir, there was nothing more I could buy. She feared being, quote, relegated to a life of shopping, sitting on a few charity boards of no consequence, and standing silently by my husband's side full of unrealized potential. So a pop dance music career is what you choose to spend all of your time on when there's nothing left to buy in the world? The Times says she came at it in a very business-like way. She brought spreadsheets of her budget forecasts to her husband. So keep in mind that divorce that he was wrapping up when they got married, his income in the disclosures in that divorce, his income was $263,000 a month. Wow. Yeah. So the sky's really the limit. 
in terms of what we're going to do here. So Dude Bro brings in Michael Jackson's choreographer, a songwriter who had worked with Madonna, Stevie Nicks, and Britney Spears, and a costume designer whose clients included Lady Gaga and RuPaul. We're going to make you a star, baby. We're going to make you a star. And I mean, wow. She was not without success. Although with that kind of backing, I mean, it'd be weird if it went nowhere. She hit number one on Billboard's dance charts a number of times, I think nine times. She's toured in Asia. Uh, she, I guess she has a big gay following. I mean, it's, she's writing club music, right? Sure. So by 2015, she says the the ROI there was not, the return on investment wasn't great. So she was going to kind of pack it up. And this is the moment that the producers of Bravo's Real Housewives of Beverly Hills come a-calling, spotting an opportunity in her dual life as the wife of a much older legal phenomenon, and her musical persona, which was, let's say, less buttoned up. <laughs> when, Bravo, <laughs> when Bravo rolled out the taglines for her first season, Erica's was, I'm an enigma wrapped in a riddle and cash. <gasps> no. Mm -hmm. Again, I prefer scripted TV, so I've never really been clear on the roles and the dynamic in the Housewives franchise, but there are clips online of closet tours with Erica Jane. There are apparently three gigantic walk-in closets, and they're absolutely fabulous. 10,000-square-foot, four-bedroom, nine-bathroom, 1928-build Pasadena mansion. Oh, my God. With grounds designed by the Olmsted Brothers of oh. Central Park fame. Natch, come on. Where even the three-car garage boasts vaulted ceilings, chandeliers, and filigree iron doors. There's chandeliers in the garage? Go big or go home, Alicia. That's trashy. This is from a 2018 People piece called RHOBH star Erica Girardi says she spends $40,000 a month on hair, makeup, and clothes. Holy cats. By Colleen Cradifel. Erica Jane has sung for years that it's expensive to be me, and she was not kidding. The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills star Erica Girardi travels with her own glam squad, has three walk-in closets in her Beverly Hills mansion, and moonlights as her pop star alter ego Erica Jane. And it turns out that living a life as fabulously fashionable as Erica's will only set you back a mere $40,000 a month. During a stop on the Wendy Williams show on Tuesday. That is more than like a lot of American families take home in an entire year. Yeah. Okay. Told you it was trashy. <laughs> During a stop on the Wendy Williams show on Tuesday, the reality show star confirmed the rumor that it takes 40 grand a month to be like her. That's true. You know, it can get there for sure she says. So how does one rack up a bill as expensive as college tuition in just 30 days? Quote, if you want to look good, it's hair, it's makeup, it's wardrobe. And then those people that help facilitate that, they're not cheap. Whew. I'm just trying to set the scene on oh, Erica. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I, sorry. The chandeliers are illuminating the garage. I'm, I'm getting the scene. Uh-huh. 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 All right. Setting the stage because that is certainly some sort of like big gulp moment. <laughs> like, oh my God, people live this way. They do. What was happening on the Tom side of the equation was absolutely dastardly. Here's what Tom Girardi did for a living. Let's say you're sitting down on the couch one day to watch some football with your special somebody when a neglected gas line feeding your neighborhood suddenly fails catastrophically and explodes. Oh my God. You manage to escape the inferno that your home has suddenly become, but you suffer burns over 90% of your body and scarring in your lungs. Oh, my God. With intensive long-term medical care, you survive. Your special somebody does not. But the rest of your life will require surgeries, specialists, and just incredibly expensive care. Tom Girardi represented people like that, taking on the corporations whose recklessness or negligence left them injured to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars to... Millions, sometimes many, many millions of dollars. Deep pockets. Yep. In the Aaron Brockovich case against PG&E, the firm that handled it took $133.6 million of that $333 million settlement. If this seems outlandish, keep in mind that a lot of law firms, for a very good reason, work on a contingency fee basis. So the client puts up no money. The law firm takes all of the risks, shoulders all of the costs, then takes their cut from the ultimate settlement. These lawsuits are expensive. I mean, PG&E, like, my God, their team of lawyers, yeah, they must drop a million dollars a day 
on like anyway. I think you said toxic tort. Toxic tort. It's not a pie. <laughs> so these lawsuits are expensive. They can last several years before they conclude. And that's pricey. So at some point, Tom began availing his firm, Girardi Keese, of the services of what is known as litigation finance. Effectively, a lawyer with a big case goes to these lenders and says, hey, we expect to get $50 million, but I need $10 million to finance it. Those companies do their due diligence. And then if, you know, if it looks good. This is a grifting scheme, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I mean, if- like if I know I'm taking them to court, I'm likely I need this in order to get the I mean, this is Wall Street. It's it's risk investment, mm-hmm. right? It is because okay. obviously sometimes the lawsuit fails and the lenders are just out the money. So it's it's speculative. Yeah, it's speculation. Anyway, assuming they win, then the lender recoups some of the award. It's, you know. Grifter's going to grift. So here's what Tom was doing, at least from about 2015 forward, as far as we know. And I think there's a lot we don't yet know. Okay. He was going to multiple lenders with the same collateral, the same anticipated judgment or settlement, and getting multiple loans on them without telling the lenders that there were multiple creditors in the mix. I don't think that's how that's supposed to work. It's not how that's supposed to work. Meanwhile, people like that hypothetical client who sat down to watch football only to have his house literally explode around him, that's a real person, and his case is covered in a June, it's an ABC News documentary, but it's on Hulu, and it's called The Housewife and the Hustler. This is, I mean, put on your fury pants and sit down and watch that. (laughs) That is, that is anger making. So uh, Tom was coming up with excuse after excuse to short payments to this guy or to skip payments to this guy or finally to stop paying at all from the multi-million dollar settlement that he had secured. Keep in mind that money was the client's money. This was not Tom's money. This was not the lender's money. Like straight up, once the award is made, that is the client's money. And he just stopped paying it. This is from a March LA Times piece, again by Harriet Ryan and Matt Hamilton. A Times investigation found that Girardi maintained a spotless record with the bar, the California State Bar, for decades, despite more than 100 suits against him and his firm, including numerous claims of legal malpractice and misappropriation of funds. A hundred? Whoa. Girardi cultivated close relationships with bar officials, the newspaper found. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See you at the club on Thursday for our golf match. Yep. yep. Buddies with the bar, picking judges for LA. Like, what a mess. So everything comes to a head as a result of this case. In October of 2018, a Boeing 737 MAX departed Jakarta, Indonesia, and crashed into the Java Sea almost immediately, killing all 189 souls aboard. Girardi Keese represented about a dozen of the families of crash victims in a suit against Boeing. And the case was settled in early 2020, which is almost lightning speed in terms of lawsuits. Fast, yeah. Yeah. So Girardi Keese gets this big payout that it is then supposed to distribute to clients and to other law firms that are representing clients. This money never gets anywhere. Nobody sees a penny of it. Oh, where does it go? No one knows. A firm in Chicago representing other families of the crash spends all of 2020 chasing down Girardi Keese to get their portion of funds to pay the families. These are widows and orphans. <laughs> these are these are injured people. The money is theirs. Just give them their money. Money never comes. So then, apparently out of the blue, on election day in 2020, last November, Erica Jane files for divorce from Tom after 20 plus years of marriage. No one saw this coming. This not only sets the tabloids aflame, but alarm bells are ringing at law firms across the country. Litigation financiers are freaking out. And Girardi Key's clients who have been trying to finagle their money out of Tom are like, oh my God, what is even happening? What is happening? So the Chicago firm, eager to avoid a situation where perhaps Tom has stashed all his money in Erica's accounts and she can just divorce and walk away with it as separate and they can't get to it immediately files suits. Uh, so they sue the both of them individually, plus the firm, plus two of the litigation finance firms, and they allege that Tom had been, quote, embezzling the proceeds of settlements that should have been directed to his clients, including 
As the basis for this complaint, the widows and orphans who lost loved ones in the tragic crash of Lion Air Flight 610. Why are you stealing from widows and orphans? Why? Yeah. They say it's in order to continue funding his and Erica's lavish Beverly Hills lifestyles. Soon after... (laughs) Those light bulbs don't replace themselves in the chandeliers, Stacey. (laughs) They do not. (laughs) Uh, Soon after Girardi Keese, the firm was put into an involuntary bankruptcy... There's a video deposition from, I think, last fall of Tom from a different lawsuit of defrauded clients. So in 2018, uh, Tom had pegged his net worth at $264 million, including ownership interest in two private planes, $9 million in jewelry, $3 million in antiques, furniture, and art, and the $15.5 million Pasadena Mansion. Tom pleads poverty in this deposition. He said he had had... <laughs> He had had 80 million or maybe 50 million in cash at one point and it was gone. And he has maybe a few thousand dollars in a checking account. I have this bowl. I just need some more porridge. I don't have anything. He has not divulged where all that money went, prompting an awful lot of people to glance up at their television screens and notice his wife surrounded by her glam squad decked out in designer clothes and sporting enough bling to blind normal people. In March, a psychiatrist testified that Tom has Alzheimer's disease, prompting the State Bar of California to weigh in on the matter and suggest that Tom was faking it oh my God. to avoid the consequences of his actions. No. The bar yanked his law license. Like, that is not normal for the bar to jump up and be like, no. We don't believe this medical diagnosis that well, you've been given? apparently as recently as November, he hosted a continuing education seminar and like ran a panel of four other lawyers on like, and it was a multi-hour thing. He was perfectly fine. Yeah. They were like, there is, this is, this is some sketch. So the bar yanks his license and has begun a review of the numerous complaints that his clients had filed with it against him over the years, which the bar now says were mishandled. I.e. they were ignored because dude bro was rich and influential and helped pick judges for the state of California. So he was basically untouchable for years or decades, and it is disgusting. We're going to get back to Erica in a second, but Tom today, as of June, is under a permanent conservatorship managed by his brother. Where have we heard of conservatorships in California before? Free Tom! That's right. The very system that has trapped Britney Spears for 13 years and allowed her father and various others to siphon off her earnings and control her activities is now perhaps being used by a rich and powerful guy to shield himself from questions and scrutiny about his bad acts. California, get your shit together. (laughs) Erica, meanwhile, is still on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which just came back with episodes filmed shortly after the divorce filing. She is increasingly ensnared in the bankruptcy case. So far, and these numbers literally seem to be increasing by the day, The bankruptcy trustees appear to have identified about $25 million in loans made by the firm, the law firm, Tom's law firm, to businesses purportedly controlled by Erica. What? What? Why would? Yeah, it's a mystery. The other day, Law 360 had a piece up noting that in 2012, the firm agreed to accept lottery winnings from a client in lieu of attorney's fees. (laughs) That's not how it works. I mean, the court allowed it. And for some reason, these payments were signed over to Erica. Erica had not told the court about these payments, and the bankruptcy trustee says she has taken in more than $242,000 from it since 2012, with 19000 just this year, and another 78000 is expected to be paid out through 2025. She's being sued by, yeah. the, by the bankruptcy. Yeah. Okay. To recoup this money. Uh, the trustee also claims that Erica was purchasing jewelry and other luxury goods directly with the firm's funds. As of right now, the Girardi Keese firm owes $130 million. What? To various... And that's just what we know about. ...individuals and entities. Holy Mm -hmm. cats. So for her part, Erica appears to have struggled to explain why she suddenly filed for divorce. In December, she posted images allegedly taken from an old phone of Tom's that seemed to show he was having an affair with a California judge, whom she helpfully named, writing, this is justice, you know, so-and-so, I'm not going to name her. 
this is just a so-and-so. She was fucking my husband, Tom Girardi, and he was paying her sax bill and paying for her plastic surgery. Uh, other times she has talked about how Tom, like in private, would really just like ice her out and was actually quite mean to her behind closed doors. Other times she says that his health was deteriorating in front of her eyes, but he was in denial and wouldn't do anything about it. And it yeah, was just... I thought he was mentally incompetent, but he's competent enough to pay your Saks Fifth Avenue bill and carry on an affair. But is he... Hey, look, when you're ending a relationship, especially a 20-year-long relationship, likely a lot of things have gone wrong. And so it is okay to have multiple reasons why you would do that. But let me just say the optics here are genuinely terrible. Questions. So did Erica know that Tom was stealing from Peter and not paying Paul and shoveling cash into bank accounts in her name? We don't know. How does Erica feel about apparently being in possession of large sums of money stolen from orphans and cancer survivors and burn victims? We don't know that either. She maintains that the lawsuits were a surprise to her, but... Uh huh. The cynical take, and one that is being argued in court, is that she and Tom have planned this whole thing out so they could hang on to a big chunk of stolen money when he finally ran out of room to maneuver with Girardi Keys. We do know that this speculation upsets Erica. In a recent episode, she told fellow housewife, God, Kyle, my divorce is not a sham. It's just not. Nobody wants to be in the position I'm in right now. It is really unenviable. Being the possible target of a federal criminal investigation is, like, not cool. Not cool. There is a lot more to come on this one, and we may well be revisiting the story of Erica Jane and Tom Girardi down the road. I have no doubt that the trash cans will continue to spool out as it goes, and the number looks pretty limitless from here. And, Alicia, for you, I will add... There are rumors that have been reported on, we will link to some, that Erica and Taylor Swift nemesis Scooter Braun may have had a fling, leading to his recent split from his wife. Erica denies this, but I am never going to deprive you of T-Swift-related gossip. That is an awfully curious triangle, isn't it? (laughs) Interesting. He's also being sued, right, by Goldman Sachs? I think so. Yeah. So a whole anyway, lot of toxic torting happening lot of, around this place. A lot of toxic, just that's, we can stop there. Just a lot of toxic. Yeah, I, I really, this and the Britney thing, like California, you need to get a handle on your lawyers over there and your judges. This is uh, it's a problem. You're looking bad. Anyway, that that is where we stand with... Erica Jane and Tom Girardi. And thank you to everyone who has posted in the Facebook group about it and sent us text messages and emails recommending because it does not disappoint. Sail on, sugar. Nefarious. Good times never felt so good. (laughs) That was a fun Trashy Divorces episode. Nefarious. Thank you, Stacey. Hey, you're welcome. And thanks everybody for tuning in and spending your time with us for this very special episode. Concoction of some kind of trash candy. Whoa is right. Don't forget, we have free Patreon Mm -hmm. episodes out from behind the paywall. You can get to those by visiting bit.ly slash trash candy. And we just added a cool one, right? If you're wanting the astrology with Andy episode, that is definitely where you get it. It was awesome. He's a delight. He is a delight. We love astrology with Andy. If you are into the stars, trashy divorces, full-throated endorse of astrology with Andy. Working through a Grab Your Hanky series, we went through and talked about Kings Richard and John this past week as a follow-up from Henry 1 and 2. Oh, brother. We've got Dumpster Dive, as usual. This Wednesday coming up, Mm -hmm. we're having our... Zoom salon, our Zoom party with our $10 and up listeners. Details will be coming out about that. There's always something going on over there, like Mm -hmm. 700 extra episodes. If you need more trashy divorces in your life, we'll be back on Wednesday. I got trashy breakups this week Mm -hmm. and oh, it's going to be good. Oh, it's going to be good. Oh, is it ever. So we'll see you back for that. Once again, thanks for spending your time with us. Mm -hmm. Y'all rock. In the meantime. Oh, gosh. Until we meet again. Until we meet again, we hope that you will keep your hands clean. We hope you keep your hearts trashy. Replace those 
light bulbs in the chandeliers just so you can see your trashy heart. Vaulted ceilings for my cars to admire. Good lord. (laughs) Y'all have an amazing week. We'll talk to you soon. Keep it trashy, friends. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.